Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk about purpose with inspiring people making a positive impact with their lives. We are particularly interested in social enterprises and entrepreneurs. We will listen to them reflect on their journeys and take time to dig deeper in order to better understand what really motivates their choices. Hi everyone, welcome to the show. This is Stephen Moe, and today we're going to be speaking with Gary Shaw, who formerly worked as an anti-human trafficker. He has some amazing insights from his time working in that area. Have a listen to this part of our conversation. If, if the only question that you, were, that you were asked growing up is, what are you going to do you know, when you leave school, uh, that, that kind of becomes your defining question. And then your life is, your, this, the quote, success, unquote, of your life uh, is determined by that. Far, a far better question potentially is, how are you going to live? Uh, what values are you going to base your life on? Mm. What kind of contribution are you going to make? What kind of relationships uh, are you going to have? And what kind of legacy are you going to leave? Now, in the next episode, I'm going to be speaking with Peter Townsend, who's the chief executive of the Canterbury Employers Chamber of Commerce. When that episode goes live, Peter will be about to finish in his role at the chamber. So we talk a lot about his reflections looking back over his career. I call this podcast Seeds because seeds look like they're dead, but then they actually have life when they're given the right conditions. And I'm hoping that the stories that we're telling in each episode are a bit like seeds, that they can inspire people to live lives of purpose. If you want to help me get those positive messages out, then consider sharing this podcast with a friend. In most apps, there's a little button you can press to do that. And if you leave a rating and review, then that helps people to know what it's about. Now let's get into the interview with Gary. So I'm really pleased to be able to welcome Gary Shaw to the show. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. And your um, title right now is the Corporate Social Responsibility Manager at Kathmandu. That's correct. Yeah. I just wonder if you could give the people listening a little bit of background about yourself. Um, So just backing right up to the beginning, where did you come from? A little bit about your history. Absolutely. Happy to do so. Uh, I am a Christchurch boy, born and bred, and uh, always wanted to be a superhero. Uh, So... Went to uh, well, my dream was actually to to right out of the bat become a um, a police officer or a, a soldier, something like that. That was the closest occupation I could think of that would uh, help me uh, zoom in and and rescue people in distress and 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 save the world. Uh, but uh, during my high school years, at that time, the eyesight requirements for both the police and the military were were quite. Uh, strict and my eyesight wasn't good enough sadly and it was quite devastating for me so um, I was a superhero without any powers uh, or any vehicle at the time to um, to save the world and uh, I ended up at Canterbury University uh, completed a, uh, a bachelor's degree in psychology sociology and actually it was during that time that um, I came in contact with a, a sociologist from the United States who had created a degree program uh, that would allow students to, to first of all, gain a, a master's in um, third world uh, development so that they could go to the third world and um, bring their skills, uh, whether it be business, um, arts, uh, and break the poverty cycle, fight injustice, and, and basically make the world a better place. And, and uh, 
so I uh, was um, fortunate enough to, to get a scholarship and, and studied at uh, Eastern University in Philadelphia for two years and uh, completed that master's degree um, with the view that I was then going to go and work in that uh, you know UN kind of field. But um, it was just at the time in the uh, late uh, 80s, early 90s where uh, development organisations were moving away from sending people from the first world to the third world. They realised that uh, in many ways that often made the situation worse uh, and it was all much more expensive to send a, a white um, you know, middle-class uh, idealistic boy who couldn't speak the language and didn't know the culture to um, to a country where they could employ twelve, you know, or twenty locals uh, for the same uh, for the same rate. And um, it was they were much more focused on empowerment than than rescue uh, and relief. So um, I came back to New Zealand through a series of circumstances. Did end up in the New Zealand police and um, became a detective. Uh, got married. And um, yeah, I was living my life in, in uh, Christchurch, New Zealand as a, as a police officer uh, until I again heard about, uh, serendipitously I guess, heard about a, an organisation this time based in Washington DC that um, employed uh, investigators to go to third world countries, as it turned out, uh, and use their skills to gather uh, evidence uh, damning evidence that could be used to facilitate the rescue of uh, people from gross forms of, of human rights violations. Uh, in my case, it was typically um, human trafficking, sex trafficking in particular, uh, and to use that evidence to facilitate the, the rescue and the, uh, of the victims, but the prosecution of the perpetrators. And when, how did you hear, hear about that? Living here in Christchurch, working, you mentioned, you know, serendipitous. How, was it an acquaintance or you just heard something? And Yeah, well, actually, someone gave me a, uh, a Tear Fund magazine. Okay. Uh, and uh, Tear Fund had partnered with um, uh, the organization I worked for over there in the United States. And, uh, yeah, there was a write-up about this, this organization. And um, uh, so I just did some research and, and reached out to them and, and uh, yeah, ultimately secured a a, uh, a position with them and the New Zealand police gave me leave without pay uh, to go and, and work for them. So for mm. four years I was based in, in Washington DC and about 50% of the time I was deployed to more than 12 countries uh, pretending to be a, a pedophile, a sex tourist, a sex tour operator, uh, whatever was necessary to infiltrate some of the very um, dark and, and uh, dangerous places of, of the world to, again, use the very best technology and, and uh, best practice of uh, modern policing to, to gather evidence, mm. as I say, so that we could achieve those two goals of, of rescuing people, uh, but also prosecuting the, the perpetrators. Mm. And what was it about that opportunity that presented itself so you're living here in Christchurch it's quite far removed from going into Southeast Asian countries and things was that something is it go back to your childhood wanting to be the superhero do you think or was there some link uh yeah absolutely I think um uh you know growing up in New Zealand we we take for granted I think that uh um much of the freedom much of the um quality of life uh and and the egalitarian values that we that we take for granted uh, so so quickly and so easily. And we, um, I, I was shocked uh, when I was at university. I um, 
was volunteering for the World Vision 40-hour famine right. at uh, Canterbury University. And uh, as the, the volunteer, they sent me all of the materials. And it was just during the, um, uh, the, the famine in Sudan had not long um, been in the, in the mainstream media. Uh, but the theme that year was, was not just about famine and poverty, but also exploitation and, and injustice. And uh, don't rubbish the children was, was the, the, uh, the mantra. And it was particularly targeted at children living on rubbish dumps, but also the streets of the developing world who were very vulnerable to um, exploitation and, and trafficking and abuse. And uh, I remember reading a story um, about a child who was as young as uh, my little sister at the time. And, um, yeah, I'd grow, grown up with Oliver Twist, but just it, it really shocked me, um, first of all, how naive I was, but also uh, just to read that there were millions of, of these children roaming the streets of, of, our, of, our, um, of the cities in our, in our little planet mm. uh, with no one to protect or defend them. Uh, who were being so grossly um, abused and exploited, and um, yeah, so I guess a, a fire was was lit within me, and mm. uh, and then having the the skills, uh, p- having picked up some of those skills uh, through qualifying as a as a detective in the New Zealand Police, where again, where we take for granted in in uh, the West, and in particular in New Zealand, we have one of the the you know we're the least corrupt nation on earth by many standards, and. Um, we take it for granted that we can pick up the phone and, and call the emergency services and that they will come to help us, whereas, again, in, in the majority of the world, that is not the case. And so, uh, yeah, it was an amazing opportunity to mm. uh, to have a, a dream fulfilled mm. uh, as, as someone who wanted to make a difference in that way. And it's amazing that it was able to link back to that time at university when you'd been helping with World Vision and, you know, seeing something was going on overseas. And now, years later, you're actually part of being part of the solution yes yeah again i i couldn't have um orchestrated it if i if i tried yeah uh but um the way it all came together was uh, was an answer to prayer mm, mm, that's great and then um so what was it like then i guess over that four years that you were in washington dc you mentioned you were traveling kind of 50 percent of the time yeah was it mainly in Asia, was it, or did, was uh, no, it all it's, over the uh, world? Well, or? I guess primarily in Asia, but uh, no, there was about twelve countries in uh, Central uh, America, um, the Caribbean, Mexico, uh, even in in the United States, mm-hmm. um, Las Vegas, Washington D.C., and Atlanta, but and we, also South America. Uh, sorry, South Africa, uh, India, Sri Lanka, and then throughout. Um, throughout Southeast Asia. Yeah, so it really took you around the world then. It did. Yeah. And which organization was that? Uh, I worked for uh, International Justice Mission, Mm -hmm. uh, IJM. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And were there other people doing the same thing that you were doing? Yes, they they did employ about uh, four or five investigators who were based in Washington, D.C. at the time. And they also had investigators based in their field offices Mm. uh, throughout... um, uh, the countries where they had uh, field um, bases of mm. operation. Yeah, and I guess uh, it's maybe a natural question to ask, but what what was it like in terms of? Did you feel like you were actually fulfilling a purpose in in terms of um, helping these people in these third world countries? Or? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, uh, IJM is an amazing organization, 
and uh, yeah, they they um, they really showed that it could be done. Mm. That um, cops and lawyers basically bringing the the very best of of first world uh, best practice and technology and equipment to a developing world environment, um, and not imposing. I think uh, that the great thing about their their methodology was that they, um, you know, not perfect, but they wouldn't come in typically and impose our uh, Western um, values or, or morals or worldview, uh, we would simply come in, uh, gather evidence of exploitation in a, in a very um, professional way, uh, and then we would go to the local laws of the land. You know, if it was, whether it was Cambodia or, or uh, Malaysia or India or, or anywhere else in the world, we would say, you know, under... Um, under your legislation, under your laws, mm. um, you know the the exploitation of these women and children in this particular case is illegal by definition of of your laws. Mm. Uh, we have gathered some evidence, and uh, this was actually the the most challenging part. Is what, gathering the evidence wasn't difficult. Uh, it was then approaching the local authorities who. Uh, sadly, in you know, in many countries, were corrupt or complicit, uh, or indifferent, and um, uh, that was the the challenging part, but also very rewarding. And I think, uh, as a Kiwi, I, I found that particularly rewarding because, again, it's where um, as New Zealanders we are uh, pretty well liked around the world. We're not a threat. Uh, we're we're self-effacing. We have that can-do attitude and and humility. And so, uh, I uh, did. Uh, become quite good at coming alongside the local uh, law enforcement in particular um, in a respectful way, not shaming or condemning, but just saying, hey, we know how hard it is in this environment um, to, to tackle some of these crimes. We've been able to gather this evidence. How can we help you guys um, act on it? And you can take all the glory. You know, it's, it's your case. Uh, you know, we don't want to be acknowledged necessarily. And, and uh, you go ahead. And, and so... Um, you know, nine times out of ten, we were in the beginning anyway. We were able to affect uh, the the rescue of of well, I participated in the rescue of several hundred women and children from sex trafficking, and the prosecution of um, of many perpetrators. In some cases, in some countries, for the first for the first time, uh, for the crimes of of sex trafficking, the legislation was able to be to be used. So yeah, I. I uh, at least for the first two or three years, I, I loved the work mm. and it was uh, very rewarding. And I guess uh, it's that collaboration with the local law enforcement, isn't it, that made it possible? So you would gather the evidence, present it to them, and then they could actually do something with that. Yes, yeah. yeah. Sometimes we would participate, you know, it'd be like a sting operation, and, yeah. and I'd be in the room and uh, they, they would kick the door in. And, and, uh, and so, yeah, uh, it, um, we had no jurisdiction. Uh, to to uh, bring uh, enforce the laws or to or to bring about the arrest or prosecution of anyone, um, but that was also uh, the beauty of of what we were doing because we um, we were an NGO. You know, we were the same. We could go to the same places the bad guys could go to, mm. uh, and um, you know, often law enforcement can't do that. They need they need to abide by certain. You know jurisdictions, uh, certain laws, and there's you know all kinds of uh, limitations on what they can and can't do. We could go in just like the bad guys, go to exactly the same places they did, uh, using covert cameras and so on, record what they were doing, and um, and then take it to those that could act on it. Yeah, 
And then I guess that's where the skills, having been a detective at the police here, it was a natural fit for you, wasn't it, to be able to step into that sort of role? It was, yeah. yeah. And I, again, uh, I mean, we, we do take for granted the, uh, the New Zealand police are, are um, you know, and having, having worked in all those countries, uh, they're second to none in terms of their professionalism and, uh, um, and, and I think compassion. I mean, police work by its very nature is you, you do get to see the, the worst of um, humanity and uh, it does by default cause a, a level of suspicion and in some cases cynicism and you, you it is easy to lose faith and to lose trust uh, both in ourselves and in the in the system and in other people um, but uh, New Zealand uh, you know we can be proud I think of of uh, the policing that we we have here it is true uh, community policing it's um, you know it's not done at the at the end of a gun sadly like in so many countries around the world it is uh, the, our first, um, I suppose, uh, uh, tool of engagement is, is our voice and is our, is our um, Kiwi uh, down-to-earth kind of self-effacing nature. And I think that's, that's a huge strength. Mm. So what is it that happened next in your life? You'd been there for four years, going, traveling, doing all these prosecutions and things. What was it that you moved on to after that? Uh, well, sadly, I burned out. Mm. Yeah. Um, the... Uh, the, the, you know, it's a it's a great thing I think to to be um, to have a dream to want to help and and make the world a better place, uh, and to want to rescue and save and protect and defend. You know, they're all noble kind of uh, desires. Uh, but um, yeah, I, uh, I I I completely burned out. Yeah. Um, Did you see that coming? Like, was it a surprise no. when it happened, or yeah. just describe that? type of thing yeah, no, it was a, there it may was, be people listening who are, are at that point but they don't even realize it so what are some of the things that looking back you you kind of realize yeah sure no I, I it was very insidious I didn't see it at all mm. but uh, slowly over the course of that four-year period I mean I was successful as I said in rescuing several hundred but failed to rescue many thousand mm. and uh, increasingly as as time went on there was operations that were tipped off by local uh, authorities and uh, so I found myself getting on a plane flying back to uh, Washington DC where we lived at the time and uh, having having maybe partial success you know I can think of a one case in particular where we rescued well actually I documented uh, this is probably the case where things began to change for me I documented 50 children nearly 50 children in, in one village in Southeast Asia that were being sold every day to uh, two men from around the world, New Zealand, Australia, US, Canada, Europe, uh, for sex. And um, uh, on the day of the operation, everything that could go wrong did go wrong. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, we rescued less than 12 of those original 50, um, which was great for those 12. But the only thing I could think of um, coming away from that operation was you know, the, 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 the 38, 38 who didn't, yeah. who, who weren't rescued and who we never saw again and who's, um, uh, yeah, whose, whose destiny, um, remains unknown to the yeah. state. And so, and so looking back, it was that, it was that 
event or that point that you, it, it kind of switched for you, was it? Uh, yeah, that was the most devastating event. But then increasingly, uh, there were a number of operations like that where we would have partial success, but we would always, you know, it wasn't complete. Um, and uh, increasingly, the, the numbers of women and children that I had failed to uh, rescue and help um, grew uh, and became a very heavy weight mm. that I was that I was again unwittingly carrying around, uh, but also those that um, who who we weren't even targeting. You know, just coming in contact with women in the sex industry, they hadn't been trafficked necessarily, so they were outside of our um, focus. But just through poverty or corruption or uh, abuse, family violence, whatever, they found themselves in those situations. And just that inability, that powerlessness, I suppose, to, mm. to do anything about their situation. And in some cases, when we did successfully rescue women and children, uh, but because of the way they saw themselves, because of the time they had spent uh, in those brothels where they had come to see themselves as only being worth what someone would pay for them. Many of them would run away from the safety of an aftercare home back to those environments because although it was hell, it was familiar. And uh, those chains that um, that enslaved them were were comfortable chains. And and the idea of of the terrifying idea of of uh, trying to find a life outside of that place of slavery was was um, just too terrifying and too unfamiliar. And, and so that was devastating as well and very confusing. Mm. Um, so even the ones that you'd rescued, sometimes they would go back and then, because I can imagine, well, I can't imagine, but, um, you know, a normal nine to five job, you're selling paper or something and, oh, I sold this much paper. It's not the same, <laughs> not same lives in the balance, is it? And um, so that must have been, I guess a growing weight on your shoulders. Is that how? Absolutely, incredible, incredible weight, and uh, it, it became all-consuming for me, which is where I lost the uh, my way. Mm. Um, I uh, found it increasingly impossible to forget those people that I had failed, and so I, even though I was back home, uh, I was still mentally elsewhere, mm. and I started to forget how to play mm. and how to relax and unwind. Mm. I, my mind was constantly thinking about um, where I'd just been and what I had done or uh, not done. Of course, that had a huge impact on my soul, <laughs> yeah. uh, my own boundaries, mm. uh, and um, uh, and and had a big impact on and on our marriage, sadly. And and so after four years, we came back to New Zealand. We tried to hold it together, but sadly, we we failed. And um, uh, for for a number of reasons. Mm. But um, yeah, I I found myself um, having set out to you know to make the world a better place. I, I found myself uh, d- divorced, depressed, and and full of uh, despair, mm. which was a uh, yeah, a big shock. Not not a place that I. Yeah, it's quite a contrast to what you described at the beginning. You know, at university, seeing these people, or even as a child, wanting to be a superhero and fly in and save people, and and you'd kind of had the taste of that. But then there's the other side. You know, Superman can't save everyone, can they? No, and that that was probably the 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 huge wake up for me, as naive as it as it may and childlike as it may sound, but just discovering that uh, I wasn't Superman, I was um, a man, yeah. uh, in some ways just a man. Although I suppose I, I coming out of the other end of it, I, I think there is 
magnificently a man, but a man with all of um, uh, the the foibles and and weaknesses and um, and brokenness uh, that we all share uh, in our humanity. And uh, yeah, that was both uh, unsettling, terrifying, um, um, but it was it was the journey. Yeah. So just take us a little bit further on the journey. You've you've come back to New Zealand. You've had these experiences overseas. Um, you're in a dark place when you first get back. Um, what's happened since then, or or where have things gone? Yeah. Well, I think I learned through through that season of life that one of the most courageous things we can do, uh, especially as men. Uh, and especially men in the West who are typically uh, praised for being self-reliant and, and resourceful, uh, one of the most courageous things we can do is ask for help. Mm. And uh, so during that time, I, I did. I, I sought the help of um, counsellors and, um, uh, you know, the police were great in terms of, of um, you know, when the marriage fell apart, providing counselling and um uh, you know, the, the the police psychologist actually was very good. He uh, one of the first sessions where I sat down with and described a little of what I'd been through. He he was shocked that I hadn't had more formal mm. uh, debriefing and and care uh, and and self care going through that whole season. Um, uh, similar to I suppose what many have discovered in in not just undercover policing per se, but in any kind of work where, where you're coming up against uh, human need and trauma, whether it's you know nursing or old age care or mm. uh, child care, you know, that you're coming up against uh, people in need, social work, um, that uh, we are not good at looking after ourselves. Right. And if uh, the, the research of, of Brene Brown and others like her in terms of uh, shame and vulnerability um, is true, then then it is only to the extent that we love and care for ourselves that we can love and care for others. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, in hindsight, it, it wasn't. Um, I, I was a. It certainly wasn't a surprise looking back, given mm. given how little uh, care I was afforded and and provided to myself. That that's what happened. Can I ask you a question? Just um, something you were saying before, which I think is really important, is just about. Um, as men being aware of our own health and mental health. Can you talk a little bit about what you see as the, the culture here in New Zealand and in terms of why that might be an issue? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, the, the, the icon of, of the Kiwi bloke is, um, you know, he is the Ed Hillary, the, the solo mountaineer or the, or the, the farmer, you know, and, and the Southland sheep farmer on his motorbike um, and, uh, or, or the, the, the Anzac soldier, you know, we, uh, so we, we pride ourselves on, um, on our ability to, to get a, a bit of four by two, you know, a bit of number eight wire and just to make it work. And if you can't make it work, actually there was a, there's an ad on TV at the moment, I think it's for Mitre 10 or, you know, it's, it's the do-it-yourself. And uh, there's the two guys standing by the letterbox, you know, the mailbox. And one guy is, is you know, he's confident he's, uh, and he's, he, he's clearly good with his, he, he looks like a builder, you know, he's good with his hands. And then there's the other guy who's, who's a bit of a, a weed uh, you know he's he's not well built and he's clearly not confident and and uh, and he's having struggle you know having having trouble just leaning up leaning up against the letterbox and the, and the message is don't be like the we you know don't be like this guy do it yourself um, uh, and and that whole DIY um, mentality 
So it's, it's, it comes at us from every angle that, that basically to be a, a good, healthy Kiwi bloke, you, you don't share your vulnerability. You don't share your, your doubts, your fears, your pain. Um, uh, you have it all together. You don't talk about your depression, your anxiety. And, uh, and actually the worst, one of the worst things you can be called in New Zealand is a, a sissy or a, or a poser. Uh, and, the, and the tall poppy syndrome, I guess, is, is, is again another barrier that we, that we have to overcome where, you know, to put your hand up either to stand up alone uh, and have the light shine on you above other people is is somehow seen as a as a no-no but also to put your hand up and ask for help and have the light shine on you because you need help is, is, a, is a no-no so we're we're a funny old um, <laughs> a funny old um, a, a culture in that sense where we are a bit like sheeple uh, I think, mm. uh, sadly. So it's, but it's something you know that we are increasingly more aware of, hopefully. And um, but that's the invitation I, I discovered as um, you know, as a police officer, as a you know Kiwi male with good Kiwi male friends, uh, that um, that just to be transparent, to be humble, to ask for help when I needed it, and to be available to other men uh, was you know the most life-giving road I could take. Yeah, that's really encouraging. Thank you for sharing that. The um, the psychologist uh, he said, you know, I recommend you you write down your thoughts and uh, start writing down how this has um, has impacted you and uh, some of the things you've been. It'll be it'll be quite healing for you. So I did that. Uh, got carried away and ended up writing a book, um, which was uh, subsequently published under a pseudonym. Uh, it was actually during the promotion of that book in the United States that a number of people said, look, you you know how to do this work well, uh, but now you know how not to do it. Right. Uh, and now you know about self-care and the need for mentoring and, and um, supervision and debriefing. Wouldn't it be great if you set up an organization in New Zealand that that used the same kind of skill sets of, of rescue and prosecution, but also provided really great care for, for the staff involved? Um, so long story short, I, I did that. I uh, was able to um, receive some funding, uh, stepped away from the, the police uh, and, uh, and started a New Zealand-based organisation combating uh, human trafficking in, uh, in Asia-Pacific and uh, deploying um, Kiwis in particular, uh, some Australians as well, but um, using uh, our very best in terms of legal and, and law enforcement to to do the same work, but hopefully to do it from a, a healthier uh, base and from a cultural base, I suppose, that was more um, New Zealand than American. Mm. So how long did that go for, that part of your life, in terms of setting it up and things? That must have been quite a lot of energy and invested time. It was, yes. So that was, again, a wonderful season. That was about five, uh, nearly six years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the the organization we, we started is, is still running. They, there's an office in, in Southeast Asia. And um, uh, yeah, they're doing very effective work in terms of uh, rescuing and uh, rescuing uh, women and children and, and, and uh, um, bringing uh, significant prosecutions to uh, countries in, in Thailand. Uh, so yeah, I'm proud to have, have been a, a small part in in bringing that to fruition. And what what were some of the things that you changed in terms of the way it, it was run? You know, it, maybe in terms of caring for staff or things like that. Yeah, um, my, well, my, I'm just thinking people who are listening, they may not be in that particular area, but they might be keen to learn what were some of the 
key principles, I guess, that might apply to their organizations? Sure. I mean, I I wasn't at the place that I am now, so I'm just trying to think back to when I, uh, the worldview I had then. But it, it was still very much, you know, wanting to to take the very best that we that we enjoy in in uh, I suppose the more affluent part of the world to to countries and cultures where because of poverty and corruption and and uh, the the issues that come out of globalization and so on, uh, we could really make a powerful difference. But I think um, the culture that I wanted to create. Um, was one of uh, self-care and mandatory um, supervision of of those staff going into that traumatic work, Uh, but also a a more holistic view of of freedom, uh, that everyone was of equal value. And so the donor who gave us money so that we could fund our investigators to do the uh, evidence gathering to rescue the the children, the donor, uh, the the uh, relief and development organisations that we partnered with, um, the media that we worked with, uh, our staff, our partners. You know that everyone had had equal value, and and I was very resistant against any um, uh, idea that we would um, uh, manipulate or or you know use uh, information. Uh, because it's a very emotive issue, and um, it is easy to manipulate people, mm. uh, and to to either get them to to, to give money or to um, you know to support the cause, to support the mission, and uh, I was um, very d- determined that we not uh, do that. That that actually we were authentic and uh, transparent and honest, both about our successes and our failures. Actually, one of the one of the best examples I can think of was a, a Facebook post that we did where um, we rescued, I think, 23 um, <laughs> victims of trafficking. And this was a huge, you know, one of our biggest cases. And we, uh, you know, a lot of support, a lot of followers saying, you know, good on you, well done, that's great. A couple of days later, we found out that um, uh, m- many of those women were unwilling to testify they were unwilling to even be honest about their circumstances out of fear and the the local police had no choice but to let them go and you know the temptation in that case of course is to well you know we've just told the world that we've done this great job and do we really want to be transparent about what happened but again I I think that was a defining moment because I said yes absolutely we do Uh, we want to trust people with the journey we want to trust people with the complexity of of um, doing this work and invite them into the the sorrow with us and and so we um that we we posted a, a you know a post the very next day or the, the, the day after which was um an invitation to lament and uh and we just said sadly you know the majority of those women that we celebrated they've they've um out of fear they were unwilling to to testify they've they've been let go by the police and they've gone back to an unknown future and and we invite you you know this is not the news we wanted to bring we um it's a um we we're very sad and and uh you know after all the the work obviously disappointed we invite you to lament with us and we got more support and positive messages for that than we did for the original the original post just that having that authenticity uh to to invite people to journey with us not just with the hollywood ending and uh, the tinsel and the lights and the happy ever after. But actually, this was crap, you know. Um, it was devastating for everyone involved. And, you know, just, just to, uh, I suppose, to invite people to journey with us into that place of powerlessness where 
we're even in our own lives, we know what that feels like, you know, to try and do the right thing, to try and help someone we love, but ultimately to be very limited in our ability uh, to sometimes do so. Mm. And I, I guess that transparency or being real about, well, this is, this is real life, this is what happens, and yeah. Yes, yeah, I, I think, uh, uh, if anything, that was the stamp that, that uh, we had uh, on the culture, uh, that was the stamp I wanted to create mm. on, on the organization and on the impact that we that we had. Mm, that's a great example. Um, and just bringing us up to date now, um, we're sitting here in the Kathmandu HQ here in Christchurch. Um, can you tell us a little bit about um, the things that you're involved in and, um, yeah, what's going on in your world these days? Yeah, so um, uh, about uh, two years ago, I stepped away from the uh, Kiwi Anti-Trafficking Organization. And uh, again, that was a very um, painful, challenging time. Uh, or subtly, rather, I had insidiously wrapped up my um, identity, significance, value, worth, purpose, and meaning <laughs> in what I did. And, and in that sense, I'm, again, probably not too different from many people, uh, but especially men. Uh, and so... I, I gained a lot of my, uh, as I say, self-image, my worth from what I did. And uh, perhaps no surprise when from an early age most of us are asked, you know, what are you going to do mm. when you leave school, as if that's the defining question of our life. And so to step away from that dream that I'd had, as I said earlier, right from when I was a boy, to suddenly not be in the police and not be rescuing people that needed help, yeah, to be uh, essentially lost standing in the wilderness uh, for some months was um, incredibly painful and, and destabilizing and, and very scary. Uh, but uh, having come through that, um, like fire, I would describe it, I will always be grateful for it. It was the most life-giving experience I've ever had. So that's around this, the sense of identity and, and feeling like it was so bound up in what you were doing? Is yeah. That, is that the fire that... that that you were going through or yes to be free from that yeah right. to discover that uh, you know I, I i used to say this a lot um that uh, our value comes not from what we do but from who we are uh and while i said it i didn't really believe it mm. <laughs> uh, at least i wanted to but i didn't i didn't know how sure <clears throat> uh but um that uh, that fire forced me to to actually have that go down to my bones because there was nothing i was doing that yeah that the identity wasn't built up around what you were doing anymore was it was you as a person well yeah. yeah the identity i did have just had collapsed overnight and yeah. um uh and uh yeah to to, to have to let that go it, just incredibly painful but um uh, one of the questions that you had asked me um prior to this was uh you know which books what's my favorite book mm. i suppose what book has influenced me the most and um yep. uh, it was just before that time that i had uh, read a book called the shack uh, and, um, you know, written by a man who went through tremendous trauma and, and, um, and pain o over an 11-year journey. And I had the honor of, of going to a conference, actually, where I spent some time with him. And, uh, and um, that book, above any other book, has been the most life-changing book. Right. Uh, and um, so I guess uh, stepping away from anti-trafficking work, again, I... I um, perhaps started to butt heads with some of the others that I was working with because the organization was started on the premise that we were fighting for freedom. And I, I guess what I came to see through reading The Shack and uh, through my own uh, personal growth and development is that um, 
what what is much more authentic for me now is fighting from freedom. Uh, that we, as human beings, are already free. We are already uh, we ha- already have inherent value just because of who we are. Uh, and rather than fighting for that and striving for that, and as Brene Brown again, you know, the shame and vulnerability researcher talks about, we hustle for our worthiness, and and we're so focused on our performance, uh, and um, uh, but and we're so terrified of not performing because then, uh, you know, we associate, as I said, with 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 our identity and who we are, and if we're not performing, then we don't have any worth or value. Uh, so I suppose just to to go through that fire and and have all of that. Um, uh, burned up and destroyed and to come out the other end uh, just being for the first time in my life at rest and at peace that before I do anything I am enough that before I participate in uh, the journey toward greater freedom for whether that be literal freedom in the form of a slave or, or emotional psychological spiritual freedom that uh, that I am already free uh, as are they that is the truth of our nature uh, but like a you know a house covered with vines um, we we're blinded to that and and um, you know we're, we're we have snares uh, that, that entangle us and, and blind us to to our our true uh, to the truth of who we are and to the truth of of who other people are and, and that's where I guess the you know the crab comes into our life and, and into the lives of others but um, the invitation, I think, now is is to live from a place of of freedom and abundance, and um, you know I think that's uh, the the growth of of many um, things in our in our in our society, like mindfulness, um, and uh, you know the move away from this uh, desperate hustling for. Uh, to make us worthwhile. So, so yes, I, I'm, uh, as I said, very grateful for the for the journey, uh, having come through the the fire, and to be able to be in this um, place. I uh, remarried, and uh, just in- incredibly grateful for for the opportunity to live loved. And um, uh, and yes, about um, eight months ago, I saw that uh, Kathmandu. Um, iconic New Zealand Australian uh, outdoor adventure brand uh, was looking for a corporate social responsibility manager or someone to basically manage the human rights um, in their supply chain to make sure that none of their equipment or apparel uh, was made by people that were trafficked or in slavery or child labor and all those things and um, so uh, it was it was a, a great uh, a great match it was um, great for I think Kathmandu to to uh, have someone with my experience to be able to come in and, and take over the role, but also for me to be able to do something where I can add a lot of value, um, but something that also doesn't consume me and, mm. and define my, my worth. Mm. And having come through that fire, you've kind of realized what's important in life. That's the sense that I'm getting from you. So it's a good fit. Uh, yes. Mm. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So is there anything else that you wanted to say or share with with the audience uh well the journey is is what it is uh and um you know i i I read something when i was younger um it was a um a modern uh version of of um, a piece of of scripture which said um you know don't run from suffering embrace it 
And uh, of course, well, it's fine for you to say you're not, you're not the one <laughs> suffering. Um, but it, but our common uh, the, the, what we share as as human beings, I think, is our ability to love and our shared loss. Um, all of us experience love and 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 loss to various varying degrees. And um, uh, and I suppose what I've discovered is as hor- well as as um, as painful as those. Uh, um, periods of suffering can be that uh, that great good can uh, come through them. Um, that hurt is not the enemy; a harm is the enemy. And many of the things that we um, that we uh, take for granted and and think are good, actually, in the long term, can end up harming us. Uh, I suppose the other thing I just um, invite people to consider is um, if you ask different questions, you end up with different answers and different outcomes. If if the only question that you were, that you were asked growing up is what are you going to do, you know, when you leave school, uh, that that kind of becomes your defining question, and then your life is your the, the quote success unquote of your life uh, is determined by that. Far a far better question potentially is how are you going to live? Uh, what values are you going to base your life on? Mm. What kind of contribution are you going to make? What kind of relationships uh, are you going to have, and what kind of legacy are you going to leave? Mm, that's great thank you um i really appreciate your time and you've expressed eloquently just your journey and been very transparent with us in terms of what you've been through and what you've learned so thank you very much for sharing with us today very welcome well there was so much depth in that interview with gary i know it gave me a lot of things to think about and i hope it did the same for you in the next episode we're going to be speaking with peter townsend who's the chief executive of the canterbury employers chamber of commerce Here's an excerpt from the interview with him. The single biggest thing is that I I believe that most of us go through life and we never ever scratch the surface, we only scratch the surface of our potential. We never dig into our full potential. So I've tried to live my life on the basis that you're only getting one shot at it and you might as well go for it mm-hmm. and, and uh, go as fast and as hard as you can and have, have, have as much fun and, and do as many things as you can. And, and I, sort of, I sort of describe that as when I get to the end of my career, I have two choices. I can say, was that it? Or I can say, wow, what a ride. <laughs> and I honestly believe that more of us need to be in a position where we say, wow, what a ride. And we've really... We've really tested ourselves. We've really explored our potential. Peter had some fantastic insights about business leadership, and I know you're going to enjoy that episode. If you enjoy this podcast, then consider sharing it with a friend, as that will help get good messages out into the world. Until next time.